This morning our text is from Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 14. So this morning we're going to continue in our series on the Acts of the Apostles. Last week we were in Acts 2, and and this week we're going to be in Acts 4. Now in the previous chapter, in in chapter 3, Peter and John heal a lame beggar. This was a beggar that was well known. He was at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate. And many people, like they knew who he was. He he was there every day. His family would bring him to this particular gate that would go into the temple. They called it the beautiful gate. And he had been crippled from birth. He had never been able to walk. And so his family would bring him to this gate. And and Peter and John are are going in towards the temple. They're going into the temple. And he, he stops them and he asks them for money. Do you have any alms? Can you give me any alms? And Peter tells them that they have no money to give him. They don't have any money. But that what he does have, he will give. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he's healed. He gets up. He's able to walk. And this healing, it it brought a lot of attention to Peter and John. A crowd forms, and Peter and John begin preaching. They begin proclaiming the gospel. And as we will see in our verses today, this miracle and the, and the subsequent preaching, it attracts the attention of many ears, many eyes. Some maybe a little more receptive to the message than others. Pick up in Acts chapter 4, reading verses 5 to 14. On the next day... Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priest family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. So set them is is Peter and John. They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected. That, you, the build, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today. That you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise pray this in your name. Amen. Do you believe that there is power in a name? That a name could 
hold power. There's a, there's a famous quote from Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo asked the question, what's in a name? What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. And he's asking, why, why is a name, why does a name have to be important? It doesn't change the person or the thing that possesses the name. If, if we decided to start calling roses something else, like, like weeds, they would still smell like roses. And though Romeo scoffed at this idea of having of names like having any importance, his name being Montague and Juliet's being Capulet is what kept them apart. There is power in a name. I mean, let's, let's go back to medieval times, you know, swords, horses, cattle, castles, damsels in distress. Who is often portrayed as the hero in medieval stories? The knights, right? The knights. Growing up, man, I wanted to be a knight. Those guys were awesome. They got to ride horses and, and wear armor and they had lances. I wasn't big on the lances, but I loved the swords, right? Like, that's awesome. You get to run around with swords. It's great. Lancelot, Galahad. King Arthur. You know, sometimes, sometimes the knights were the villain, right? The black knight in his, like, super, like, pitch black armor. And, oh, he's the bad guy. Got to fight that guy. Who, who gave knights their authority? You know, their weapons, armor, horse, their, their ability. They all played, like, some role, maybe, in, in like, their authority and their power. But, but really, it was only a small role. Since every king, every ruler, every lord had knights. So what gave a knight their authority? What gave a knight their power? It was the name of their master. Each knight rode for a lord of the land. And this lord supplied their weapons, their horses, and their training. And the authority of the knight was directly related to the power of Of the Lord that they served. How much land he owned. How many knights he could afford to staff. A knight who served a king would have much more authority. Than a knight that served a duke. For instance. The name you rode for was the name you swore allegiance to. And it dictated not only the strength and the authority that you possessed. But also who your allies were. And so it is with our passage today. The Sanhedrin, they, they knew that Peter and John were preaching and performing miracles in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they set a trap. They didn't hold much regard for the power or authority of the name of Jesus. For he was a villain to them. I mean, Jesus, in, in the eyes of the Sanhedrin, Jesus was the bad guy. And they had just successfully had him tried, convicted, and put to death for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. And so in their eyes, Jesus was finished and they had won. Their hope here was that the disciples would willingly ally themselves with this, this enemy of the state. That way, their allegiance with him, Peter and John's allegiance to Jesus, a known criminal, would discredit their message. Would discredit their message. In verses 8 to 10, we read, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, by this name, this man is standing before you well healed. Peter is, is filled with the Holy Spirit before his proclamation. In his commentary on Acts, Lenski states, Peter's wonderful defense is not to be credited to his keen powers and his great courage. He and John had not lain awake all night planning what they were going to say. They had not even known what turn things would take. It is the Holy Spirit who puts this telling defense into Peter's mouth. It is the Holy Spirit that puts this telling defense into Peter's mouth. Peter's standing before the Sanhedrin and the leaders of the established Judeo religion of the day, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaims truth. He tells them where his power comes from. He tells them where the power came from that healed this man. They ask, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter responds, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is power in the name of the Lord. Proverbs 18.10, we read, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. The name of the Lord is a tower in which we take refuge. John 20, 30 to 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. We have life in the name of Jesus, in belief in the name of Jesus. I mean, these are just a few examples. And, and throughout the book of Acts, we see the followers of God preaching and performing miracles in the name of Jesus. The Sanhedrin, the Judeo leaders, they forbid it. But it didn't matter. It didn't stop the early church. There is power in the name of the Lord. And through that power, through that name, the word of God was and is reaching the lost for his divine purposes. We sing songs about it, you know. We talk about it. We read scripture about it. Do we actually believe it? Do we believe in the power of his name? And furthermore, do we believe that as Christians, we are God's knights, as it were? Do we believe that we are his people, answering the call he has put forth in Scripture, the call he has put on our hearts and lives through the Holy Spirit, and that by his authority, by his power, he works through us to accomplish his will? to bring about his kingdom. 
How easy it is to doubt. Like Moses, we stand before the burning bush coming up with excuse after excuse as to why we are not qualified for the job. I can't be your emissary, God. Why would you even want to use me? I mean, look how bad I am at speaking to people. Look how I stumble over my words when I try to talk. Look at how I still struggle with so much sin in my life. I'm not very popular and I I don't feel very attractive. Why would people listen to me in the first place? I'm I'm not an extrovert. God, you made me an introvert. I, I don't even really like being around people. So surely you don't want me to be reaching out to people. I'm going to screw this up. It's not hard to come up with excuses. We know ourselves very well. And we know that we lack qualifications. But you know who else lacked qualifications? Peter and John. Peter and John lacked qualifications. Verse 13 we read, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Uneducated common men. That's Peter and John. And they're fishermen. They weren't schooled in the ways of the the priests. They hadn't gone through all the training that, that the Judeo leaders had at the time. So in the eyes of these leaders, in the eyes of the these, these, these priests, the religious leaders of the day, Peter and John were uneducated, common men. They didn't have special degrees. They weren't schooled in the ways of the Old Testament. They weren't super geniuses and incredibly quick-witted or fantastically good-looking and able to come up with all of the perfect responses. They were uneducated. Normal, common men. Less qualified to speak to the Sanhedrin than maybe some of us in this room this morning. And yet there they were. Doing what they individually and collectively were really unqualified to do. And despite their earthly qualifications, they were incredibly effective. Why? Because God was their qualification. They didn't rely on their own wits, creativity, and wisdom. They relied on God to speak through them. That God would speak through the Holy Spirit through them. The Holy Spirit came on Peter and he proclaimed. It's exactly what God did. The Holy Spirit working through them was their qualification. And through the Holy Spirit, God used them. And he used them in miraculous ways. Because again, they weren't moving and working by their own power or authority. They were performing miracles in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus has power. All through the book of Acts, we see the disciples being used by the Holy Spirit to perform amazing miracles. Healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, making the lame to walk, raising the dead. Man, God worked in mighty ways through the Holy Spirit using the people of the early church to do wonderful things in mission through the power of the name of Jesus. So we do not need to worry 
We do not need to be afraid of being used in mission. We do not need to worry about being unqualified. Our qualification is not found in our ability or our self-worth or our self-confidence. Our qualification is found in our faith in Jesus. For the same spirit that came upon Peter and spoke the bold proclamation to the Sanhedrin way back in the first days of the early church, as we read in our passage this morning, is the same spirit that comes upon his people today. That will fill you. That will give you the words to say. And the name of Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And will never go away. It will never decrease. And it is the name of Jesus that holds the power. It is the name of Jesus that holds the power. We do not move forward in our own gifts and strengths. We move forward in the name of the Lord. We move forward into battle. We move forward against the enemy. Knights with our armor What are we fighting against? You know, too often we look at other people as the enemy. Other people that, you know, they think differently than we do. People that are immoral or or worldly. We think that, you know, that we're going out into the world to wage a holy war against the unbelievers. and, And in their defeat, they will see their sin, their failures and their flaws. They will repent and, and then they will be saved. But that's. It's not entirely accurate. We aren't waging war against people. We are waging war against the enemy, against spiritual darkness. As Christine read this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against people. It is for the sake of people. It is against the powers of spiritual darkness, against evil forces, And these forces have lied to and deceived the people that we are called to struggle for, to fight for. We do not fight against the lost. We fight for the lost. Not on their side, but for their sake, for their souls. The spiritual world is one that we tend to overlook, you know. We tend to downplay Maybe because we don't want to recognize it exists. Maybe because it's, you know, it's, it can be a little scary. There are many reasons that we don't talk about it, don't recognize it. But man, we cannot ignore it. We cannot afford to underestimate it. The Bible tells us that this is what our struggle is against. That this is the enemy. We are fighting a spiritual battle. But we fight in the name of the Lord, and the enemy cannot stand against the name. 
I don't know how familiar many of us are with, uh, with our mission field over in Africa. Right now, currently in Chad, we're, we're in like the, the central to northern area of Chad. And, and a large part of our ministry is to Muslims. But years ago, like when we first started working in Chad, when we first started sending our ministries, missionaries, there we go, over, they were more southern Chad. And in southern Chad, it was a lot of animists. There's a lot of voodoo, a lot of witch doctors. Every little village had their witch doctor. We were incredibly effective. Incredibly effective in Chad because witch doctors deal with spirits. And spirits are demons. And they have nothing on the power of the name of the Lord. Our missionaries would go in there and... It was, I can't even imagine. You know, we, we, we look at Western civilization today and it's like, you know, we don't see a lot of possession. We don't see a lot of that, that kind of stuff at work. But if you were a missionary over in Chad, particularly Southern Chad, man, you saw that happening. Possession was not a, an abnormal thing. You were fighting a spiritual battle the entire time. And what's more, you were able to see the power of the name of God as it came against the spiritual dark forces and conquered and won. And our church in Southern Chad is huge. It's way bigger than our church here. Way bigger than our church here. In fact, Southern Chad is now sending missionaries to Northern Chad. The animistic beliefs and systems down there have been pretty wrecked. I don't have the stats to say that they've been totally wiped out. But they have been decimated. Because spiritual darkness cannot stand against the name of the Lord. Cannot stand against the name of the Lord. So I ask again, do we actually believe it? Do we actually believe that there is power in the name of the Lord? And if we say yes to that... Are we willing to live like it? Are we willing to live like it? God longs to use each of you, each of us, to use this church in his mission to bring about his kingdom. But he does not expect us to go forward alone. He has given us the Holy Spirit and he sends us in his name. You could say that we are the knights of his court. That the authority that we have does not belong to us, but to the living God. And the message we proclaim is given to us in his word and goes forward by the authority and power of the name of the living God. We have nothing to fear. We cannot be unqualified for he is our qualification. We cannot be unqualified, for he is our qualification. He is God, and we are his people. We are his witnesses, and we go forward through the power of God, through the authority of God, because we go forward in the mission, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. 
and Lord.